debuting May 20th, 1974 at the Yale Repertory Theater in, of all places, the Yale Swimming Pool, The Frogs with music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and a book by Bert Shevelov, very freely adapted from an ancient Greek comedy by Aristophanes, played for eight performances. 30 years later, now titled The Frogs, A New Musical and featuring additional music and lyrics by Sondheim and an expanded book by Nathan Lane, who also starred as Dionysus, the production opened July 22nd, 2004 on Broadway at the Vivian Beaumont Theater, produced by the Lincoln Center with direction and choreography by Susan Stroman and orchestrations by Sondheim's frequent collaborator, the redoubtable Jonathan Tunick. Based on taste. So please don't fart. There's very little air in this is art. And if you feel offended, don't lose heart. That's what the man intended. He was smart. When, when everything's upended, we can all depart. And now, but first, we start. With us today is multi-award-winning director Victoria Bussert, whose international credits in music, theater, and opera include the Sondheim Productions, Sweeney Todd, Passion, Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, Gypsy, A Little Night Music, Assassins, Pacific Overtures, Anyone Can Whistle, Follies, Into the Woods, Sondheim on Sondheim, and as well as The Frogs. Also conductor, director, composer, sound designer, teacher and music director, Christy Childs Twilly, whose work includes productions of Five Guys Named Mo, Newsies, The Gospel at Colonus, Big Fish, and Minnie's Boys, as well as the Sondheim musicals, A Little Night Music, and Sweeney Todd. And director choreographer, Christopher Pazdernick, whose extensive credits include productions of Anyone Can Whistle, Minnie's Boys, Carrie, Applause, The Rink, Do Re Mi, City of Angels and High Fidelity, which received the 2017 Jeff Award as Best Production and for which he received the award for direction. Welcome everybody to the round table. Thank you. Now, this, this show is, is one of my secret favorites of Sondheim. And, and I will say there are some Sondheim shows I don't like even as much. And, and this one, because it's sort of absolutely unique standalone, weirdness and show-offness and smarty pants quality and everything like that. I like to first get us all on the same page by, by finding out where we first encountered the frogs. And for me, it was the 1988 production here in Chicago at Pegasus Players, a wonderful company that uh, did a lot of Sondheim work and brought Sondheim for the first time to a lot of people like me, directed by our own Vicki Bussard, who's with us here today and it made a great impression on me and was so much fun and and uh, all the weirdness I hoped it would be when I read about it <laughs> put in a pool and uh, I got all that that greatness and then I was able to see the Broadway production a number of years later uh, how did the frogs come to each of you where how, how were you introduced to it start with Vicky uh, it was actually that production. Um, when I started directing for Pegasus, we sort of had a goal of working through uh, a lot of the Sondheim canon. And um, I had just done Pacific Overtures the year before, and 
uh, decided to take the leap, as it were, to do it at Pegasus because it was at Truman College and we had late night access to the Olympic size pool. So I somehow thought that would be a great idea <laughs> to do the frogs in an Olympic size pool in the middle of winter. could only have the pool starting at nine o'clock at night, nine to midnight. And then we would walk out in Chicago winter, you know, completely freezing. <laughs> How about the Christine Cress? When did uh, you first come across the frogs? I think that I first heard about it actually when I was starting to do the score study to work on Sweeney Todd. So I came to this really late. Um, I had fallen in love with that score so much. I was like, okay, I think I need to dive into deeper things. And of course there were a lot of really familiar titles that I already knew. And then I got to Frogs and I was like, what is this? And I was helping some people try to figure out shows for seasons. And I was like, can we please do Frogs? And everyone's like, nobody does Frogs. But that's, that's how I found it. And I instantly fell in love with it. But like you said, in all of its quirkiness and brilliance, yeah. I think it, not everybody loves it, but I do. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Chris? I discovered it through um, both recordings. So it was first recorded um, for Sondheim's 70th birthday in its original format um, by the Library of Congress. And it was Nathan Lane and Brian Stokes Mitchell. Um, and, you know, I was right at that. I think I was in, I was in high school at the time. And so I was just primed for new Sondheim, right? I had explored the, at least the canon that had been recorded to that point. Um, so when that came out, it also, it was on an album that also included um, the four songs from Evening Primrose. And I was like, new Sondheim, yes, I must have it. And then a couple years later, I remember distinctly, I was um, on a choir tour, now I was in college in Iowa City and we had a break and I went to the CD store because that's where I go. And they had just released the Broadway revival cast recording. And I remember buying it because I couldn't wait to hear all this new Sondheim that he'd written for the Broadway production. And all of my classmates were like, what did you buy? Everybody else is buying souvenirs and fast food and you name it. And Pazdernick returns on the bus with the Broadway cast recording of the frogs. Um, more excited than anybody could really understand and uh, really got to fall in love with it through those two recordings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, um, it it's it's remarkable that that it is uh, kind of reburst onto the scene after its original gestation, which was such a strange little story on how it came together. And I find it so interesting when certain things happened in Sondheim's journey as a composer. What amazes me about this 
particular show is that it happened. You would think that it happened much earlier in his career and it happened when he was almost at the height of exploding on Broadway. And then this little throw off occasion happens because of a request from his old buddy, Bert Shevelov from a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Um, does anybody know kind of like how this all came to be with, with uh, the, the relationship? Yeah, Chris, why, why, don't you, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? So um, when Bert was in college at Yale in the early 40s, he had adapted a non-musical version of Aristophanes' The Frogs, mm -hmm. um, which the new um, uh, dean of the theater department, uh, who also ran Yale Repertory, Robert Brewstein, remembered um, in uh, 74 and had invited Bert back to sort of remount that production that he had done and had access at that time to the pool. And uh, unbeknownst to him, uh, in his earlier incarnation as a critic, Robert Brewstein had had not kind words to say about Sondheim's work, but um, Bert called him up and said, hey, I'm doing this thing at Yale. Uh, you wanna come write some songs for it? And to your point, Michael, after having done, you know, three huge shows on Broadway, back to back to back, Company and uh, Follies and A Little Night Music, he, he was really attracted to the idea of doing something as a lark for an academic institution away from the pressures of Broadway and commercial theater. Um, you know, and as he, he tells it in, in his um, book of lyrics, you know, he showed up and kind of faced off with this, uh, uh, the person in charge, Robert Brewstein, and with a little bit of like, oh, and here we are together, and describes uh, a pretty contentious process between the the creative team and the producers, but um, unbeknownst to him, also the, the entire New York critics contingent had been invited. So what Sondheim in, initially thought was sort of, um, you know, a way to get out of town right, and have some fun with his friend turned into a much more high-pressure, high-profile um, engagement than he had intended. Right. And, and as somebody who, you know, as I look at all of the Sondheim stories, the behind-the-scenes uh, occasions of his collaborations, it always appeared to me that Do I Hear a Waltz was his least favorite occasion of working on a project, and it was this. He really really had an awful time on this. Not only the collaboration, but also the, the working environment of being in this pool and the acoustics and the college and the kids. Now, you've been down this road, <laughs> Vicky. You, uh, you went there and, and did something pretty similar. How did it go for you? How does it, to work in these environments? It, it was the most challenging environment I've ever worked in. Um, I don't know that I would do it again today, but you know, when I was a younger director, it seemed like, you know, let's just create this thing. Now, my understanding at Yale was, it was the Yale swim team was used along with actors. And we decided, no, we, you know, the actors were going to be the swimmers as well. So I, I distinctly remember 
having a callback of 60 Chicago actors. And the callback was you had to swim the length of the pool backstroke singing row, row, row your boat. <laughs> and it was like the toughest callback ever. Um, but really, really fun. And we ended up with like a, a guy who had qualified or had almost qualified for the Olympics as a diver. So we incorporated him and Jeff Lewis, who was our music director, when he heard we were going to do frogs, because we decided probably, you know, nine, 10 months before he started triathlon training because he was determined he was going to conduct in a speedo and tails, you know, so it's just, it was full of the most bizarre experiences. And Jeff's favorite thing to do was he would dive in. We had all the frogs down at the shallow end um, of the pool. And to start the number of the frogs, Jeff would dive in the deep end, swim the entire length of the pool, Olympic sized pool underwater, come up and give the downbeat to the frogs. And I, I think he was most proud of that, of everything he's ever done. <laughs> You know, the most crazy experiences. Mm -hmm. Russ Borsky was the brilliant scenic designer. And in order to deal with the acoustics, he covered the entire far wall of the pool with um, foam mm -hmm. so that it the acoustics became much better. The only way we could have lights, our, our uh, lighting designer was Mary Jo Dollinger from New York, we had to cable a hundred feet to get to the electricity we needed to have lights. I mean, it's just insane. Yeah. And Janet Lauer, you know, Chicago choreographer was, it was all, uh, you know, synchronized swimming. So the choreography was in the pool. <laughs> Crazy. It invites, uh, it invites some unusual uh, approaches. That's for sure. Anytime you're going to tackle it. You know, now the original production, and I believe the one that you did, uh, musically speaking, is a shorter composition than what it is now in terms of, of its expansion. But what strikes me really interesting about Sondheim's work musically here is his um, exploration really into choral singing, which is something that he avoids a lot in many of his shows he, he just doesn't get into that and now the townspeople start singing things uh christy how is um how is his work here in terms of a choral uh approach unique in in comparison to other things that he's done and just in general you know adapting something like this sure yeah definitely the the writing style and the type of part singing that they're doing is is much more formal than uh, when we think about choral writing than we see in his other works in the canon that have ensemble singing that's just supporting us harmonically. Um, and I, I can't help to wonder if he thought maybe that would be a good thing to do because of the use of 
um, Greek instruments and harps and, and very specific intervals and trying to stay in alignment with sort of this idea of ancient Greece mm -hmm. and tonality. Um, but yeah, very, very different. And that's true, even though we still hear um, throughout the score things that remind us of um, the, all the music from a little night music, the three, four time, or this sort of lulling pa-pa rhythm that he uses in um, that he uses in a lot of the ballads. We we know that from um, Into the Woods. There's something that also that eventually kind of makes us feel sounds a little bit like Pretty Women from Sweeney Todd. Like there are all these things that remind us. Oh yes, this is Sondheim. But this choral, yeah, the style of choral singing, I think he's trying to attach it to the idea of tonality in ancient Greece. Mm -hmm. I may be losing my mind, but that sounds like, like frogs. And and he did in here, I noticed a few occasions, something I've never heard Sondheim do, and maybe it's maybe it's just the nature of the show, is that he absolutely calls out and references other musicals in this. Lyrically, musically, I was hearing things from Showboat. I was hearing things from Of The I Sing. Uh, he, he calls out uh, 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 Old Man River in here. He even makes references to company, which, you know, was still probably playing on Broadway or at least have recently closed by, you know, was somewhat what, uh, which, which is something he almost never wants to do. It, it seems to me, unless I can think of an, another occasion in which he did that in some show. I can't think of another occasion where he has quoted that directly. Yeah. Um, but Which, I mean, I think it adds to the comedy, the comedic right. nature of the piece for sure. I mean, it's right. just one more reason we giggle, right? <laughs> and it seems to me to be similar. It's almost a companion piece in some ways to forum a little bit, doesn't it? It feel that way, which is the whole, you know, opening and outcomes, you know, the, the, the prologous characters, you know, with that, with that sense of it. Except that in forum, he stays very clear to the forum not to reference, uh, modernity in any way he kind of really keeps it in that whereas this it's sort of no you know no holds barred kind of a thing um what uh vicky uh the original production that you did then is a shortened version i mean or it's a shorter version correct right but i think you know what you were referencing before about how difficult it was for sondheim to write this um what what's funny in the original version that we did, which was the Yale version, is as the show progresses, there's less and less music. It, it's all kind of front loaded. And then suddenly it's like, oh, we're almost, you know, three quarters through and we haven't heard anything for a while. So um, you could see how it was getting. I, I remember hearing a story. I don't know if this is true, where, you know, they essentially had to lock him in a room to say finish writing some music for this because we've got to do it so mm -hmm. um it, it definitely was 
a lot less music than exists now for it. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that it uh, in that condition was a completed piece or did it feel to you sort of like it was an academic exercise and you were going to do your best with it? How, as a director, what, what did you feel about the material that you were handed to work with? Oh, I loved it. it. It didn't feel like an academic piece to me. It felt like there was a lot of possibilities for creativity. Mm -hmm. um, I remember one point in it, we projected images on the bottom of the pool. Um, and it could, it filled the whole pool with these images, something I had never even thought about trying. Um, but having the water on top of the image made it so interesting. I just think it opened up so many possibilities, you know, like what happens when you're at a pool and you're lighting and what those reflections do on the walls and all of that. So it never felt like a, you know, an academic piece. It just felt like there was a huge amount of creative freedom you could take with it. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have ever done it on land. Yeah. I, that I think would have changed it for me. Then it would have felt it was the idea of doing it actually in the Olympic sized pool mm -hmm. with actors who were going to sing and swim. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, 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 there's such an event to it, you know, of, of the human uh, uh, challenge of how are we going to do this? And then let's also up the stakes by making you swim and sing and technically challenge you. you know? Do you remember where you sat when you saw it at Pegasus? I don't, honestly, uh, because I, I think I was like on the side, uh, on like the, the length side of it. Did, did you have your feet in the water? No, no, but I so, did notice that. I, and I was afraid. Those were the, or that was orchestra seats meant you were sitting on the side of the pool with your uh, pants rolled up and your legs in the water. That was orchestra seating for the frogs. There you go. That's fun. Um, you know, the, the play itself, going back to certainly just Aristophanes itself and himself and kind of looking back and remembering being in college, reading these plays and, and remembering. And I'm like, OK, well, this wasn't originally uh, obviously it wasn't George Bernard Shaw and and Shakespeare that they're going to look for. They're looking for is it Aeschylus and Euripides? Is that mm -hmm. I think who they eventually are, are, are looking for? Um, these plays were so um, raw in their search for human definition. These Greek plays, I find, they take a very, I mean, they're, they're not dealing with things like um, social media or whatever. They're dealing with raw human emotions. We have wasted enough time. That frog was an omen. We must start our journey. We are off on a great mission. Where? I can't tell you. We don't talk the way we used to. <laughs> but I can tell you, it's of the utmost importance to the world. It's crucial to the survival of mankind. As long as there's no pressure. Could you give me a hint? Oh, very well. I, Dionysus, god of drama, am going to travel to the underworld and bring back a great writer who can speak to the problems of our society and give us comfort, wit, and wisdom, and also challenge our complacencies. We have been starved of food for thought. The Peloponnesian War still rages on, Xanthius. A war we may not be able to win. A war we shouldn't even be in. 
People are frightened and running out of hope. A great artist could be our salvation. But what about our leaders? Have you listened to our leaders? <laughs> Words seem to fail them. Tell me, talk to me about y y how you feel that, do you sense that in this play over other Sondheim shows, which are more sophisticated and nuanced in their human emotions, where this one is about death, wrestling with death and bringing what happens when you lose people to death and how art can change the world. It's really, that's what it's about. I mean, it's pretty blunt. Well, I, I think, you know, in The Frogs, that the competition between Shaw and Shakespeare is stunningly beautiful. Um, I, I think the quotations used, you know, finally ending with Shakespeare singing Fear No More. It's, you know, I'll never forget uh, our George Bernard Shaw doing, um, you know, the St. Jones speech. Uh, it, it was so moving to me to have these great writers, you know, uh, having this competition. Mm -hmm. That it, it added a gravitas or a, a depth to the frogs that was unexpected to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also think in terms of the songs that, um, as you were saying, Michael, there's sort of a brutal honesty about how everyone is feeling and about this purity of of human nature. I mean, whether it's Pluto's song or, you know, when we hear Dionysus talking about how he likes to travel or his, uh, what happened to his wife, you know, all of these are, are just diving very into very pure elements of how I feel right now and who I am sort of with no apologies. And it's done brilliantly in, in both very upbeat songs, but also in these really gorgeous ballads that just make us sit and listen. And um, the orchestration and the accompaniment is just, it's, it's like it's almost not there. And then you'll hear a celeste or, you know, double reeds or something in a room. And it reminds us, oh, that's right. We're, we really are here with them in this moment. That's such a, a, a good point, uh, Christy, in terms of it affects you where you are right now. And, and it has something to say. So you go back to these plays, to these ancient plays, and they just speak to you from thousands of years prior and say, we get you, we're with you. We, we hear where you are now and here's how we wrestle with it. Maybe there's no answers that they have to offer, but they show you the human element to strive to just examine what's going on. How are we gonna get through this? Um, and it seemed to affect Nathan Lane when he came and, and, and discovered the play in around 1979, it sounds, uh, from, from what I understand. Um, Chris, you wanna to speak to a little bit of, of that? Uh, yeah, I, I think the thing in, in rereading it um, for this conversation, the thing that struck me was really um, how timely it felt to me. Aristophanes wrote the original um, uh, because they had been stuck in this war for so long that, you know, the whole point was that Dionysus was bringing um, the poets back to speak to the people and reintroduce art and culture to civilization. And then um, at least the, the 74 production, you know, came right after Watergate, which gave Bert a lot of 
current material to uh, respond to. And then Nathan Lane, uh, when he rewrote the book, um, he was really thinking about a post 9-11 America. And there's lots of not at all thinly veiled references to the Bush administration in the book for that Lincoln Center production. And so I can't help but sit here in 2020 and think about, you know, everything that is that is going on in our world between racial justice and a global pandemic and corrupt politicians. And then I get to, um, if I can just read this, the one of the last things that Dionysus says um, in this final instructions to the audience in the, in the expanded version, he says there's just too much at stake and now is simply not the time to take a break and if that doesn't sound like something that is written for 2020 um you know i don't know what is and 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 to your point michael about speaking about art the the it's you you forget at times because he encounters so few obstacles in his journey right you think it's going to be this huge you know sort of um, epic uh, uh, journey, but Dionysus basically just goes down to Hades and brings back whoever he wants and encounters, you know, other than the frogs, very few um, obstacles in his way. But so we forget his whole endeavor is because of all of this unrest that is going on in the world that he wants to bring back one of the great poets to speak to us and to implore people not to not to be complacent right that's the whole idea of the frogs they don't like things to change they like things to stay the same exactly as they are and that's you know the sort of thing that we have to fight against that art can speak to one more thing since i've come all this way and being the god of drama you understand i would love to meet bernard shaw bernard he banquets right inside i just saw him at the buffet table really don't tease me no what a coincidence and if i know bernard he hasn't drawn breath since happy hour all the dramatists are here tonight aeschylus shakespeare chekhov and that eugene o'neill is really funny <laughs> it feels to me like it would be a great uh, you know, a great show to do in 2020, if, if only we could. Yes. No, I, I agree with you. It really did strike me. There have been, it has been very rare that I've, I've reread or re-listened to something and deeply felt this needs to be done right now. This, yes. like, this is so important to, for people to hear this music. And as you're saying, Christy, that, that, the way that it's constructed, it just sort of washes over you. It's not difficult to experience something that on the, on the by the time Aristophanes, the frogs, and you're going, oh my God, this is going to be so boring. And it's exactly not. It's so entertaining. And it makes you think. Like as a human, it just makes you really sit back and think. I Like Chris, when I also went back and was just re-listening to the score and, and sort of pouring over it. And it's like, you know, this is probably the most unintrusive way to like get to somebody. Like those conversations you can't have around dinner tables, it's like, let's go see the frogs. And I bet you <laughs> like half of those people will come out of there going, you know what? Maybe I do need to reconsider some things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's really that effective. Now the, um... I think that part of it too is that, that that our conduits from play to to audience in both occasions, starting with Bert Shevelov, who uh, 
of course, was one of the contributors to a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, but is very predominantly uh, most connected to the TV show MASH, which also obviously dealt with a lot of very deep issues, but in a very funny human way. Um, and then you add on that the voice of Nathan Lane, one of our great clowns, our great theatrical clowns, who is such a master connector with an audience, so much more than many other actors, who gets on stage and can really look at the audience and talk to them. Um, it's so, Im 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 you feel the imprint of him in the later edition, but Vicky, do you recall, and, and I'm sorry, I don't remember this element of it. Did it have the original, have that deeply vaudeville burlesque thing that Nathan Lane responds so well to, or did it, or was it a little bit more formal? Was it as loose for you? I think it starts very loose uh, at the beginning and progresses in a far more serious. But I think, you know, the instructions to the audience opening the show are, is <laughs> broad forum sort of comedy. Um, and then it takes this journey into something much deeper as we go along. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But as we then moved into this edition, uh, the, the later edition, uh, Chris Nathan Lane uh, really expanded on it, right? He uh, yeah. Pushed um, it on the he, original. Yeah, the original version was only, uh, I don't know how long yours was, Vicky, but I think about 90 minutes is what I've read, you know, most places. And and the Broadway production was, um, you know, over two hours. And unique in the fact that Act 1 is, is shorter um, by about 20 minutes than Act 2, which is an odd structure, but, you know, sort of where else do you, do you place the intermission other than, you know, the moment of uh, right after the frogs. But he, um, yeah, he expanded it, it greatly. And to your point, Michael, inserted in a contemporary way that blend of high, um, you know, uh, thought and and low comedy, broad humor into it. To the to the extent that you know, he's obviously making all the political references. He quotes, you know, uh, we, we talked about Sondheim quoting stuff musically. He quotes a number of Sondheim musicals in, in the text, you know. Um, uh, when we see Heracles, he pops out of the house and he says, I'll drink to that. What do you have in there? Don't ask. Oh, fortunately, I packed several different ensembles. Like what? Well, I have this in gold, blue, and magenta. Any weapons? Only my rapier wit. <laughs> It isn't enough to be a god. You gotta convey it with a deity's facade. A god should be godlike with a bot like, well, like mine. You're the meaning of divine. And so that's who you'll be. What's who I'll be? You'll pretend to be me. Oh, no, no, that's a bit of a stretch. And then all the way to ending the first act with a quote from Jaws, right? I think we're gonna need a bigger boat. And uh, you really see how he's able to use all these contemporary quips and references both from pop culture and music theater to help a contemporary audience connect to exactly what the play is trying to say in that very sort of ancient Greek way that we know their theater was with a lot of lofty ideals paired with paired with low comedy but um, 
between his expansion of the book and Sondheim's expansion of the score, I mean, it's it's almost a completely different show. If you even just by the recordings, if you listen to what the the Library of Congress recording, you know, it, it almost doesn't feel entirely like a musical. I don't know if you felt that way, Vicky, but it, it's a play with music in the way that a lot of you know the Greek productions were. And then when you get to the Lincoln Center production, it's like, oh, this is a full musical comedy. And one of my favorite things, you can probably speak to this better, Christy, but you know, in the in the original version, we have this travel music, which is just choral. And then in the Broadway production, he writes this patter section for um Dionysus and and his uh, servant that sits right on top of it in counterpoint to something he wrote 30 years earlier. And we get this delicious choral um, grounding uh, and then Nathan Lane and Roger Bart doing this, you know, brand new patter song on top of it. I love to travel, don't you? I love a change of pace, I love a change of space, I love to see a place that's absolutely new. Sweat. I love to travel, oh, don't you? Live. Of course you Hell. do. Rain, fog, nets, wasps, snakes, mosquitoes. To travel, I say we leave the world alone, it may unravel. But it's the mess we've always known, alright, okay, it isn't perfect, still it's perfectly okay. And if it's gonna go to hell, then let it, why should I as well? Forget it. First I have the grip, then trouble with my hip. Now I have blisters on my lip. This trip is giving me the pip. You can stop rhyming right there. <laughs> now cheer up, we're on our way to save mankind. What did they ever do for us? Look, if you're not moving forward, you're just standing still. And your point is? We're traveling. But it really is, um, I think, uh, almost a different show. Same, same title, same plot, but uh, really a different style of entertainment altogether especially when you had Strowman putting people on bungee cords and silk you know it's it's musical comedy meets vaudeville meets Cirque du Soleil in some moments which was you know one of the criticisms of the Broadway production if all that lavish staging really really helped the material and I think that probably Chris I was going to actually ask the question to Vicky about the acoustics and the orchestration for her version because as you mentioned in that original version it really just kind of feels like oh we've got some music here but I think that maybe he was writing for the space if you think about the acoustics of the pool and that goes along with the whole choral writing right once we put those chords into play with that much reverberation because of how the ceilings are, it really just kind of, that it's like that sound is going to encircle you. And so the question is, how do you balance it so that it's not overwhelming, but we still hear it over the water and everything else? And so part of me thinks... Was he really trying to also get like a, a Greek amphitheater effect, you know, um, with the sound? Um, of course, it's going to be a lot more because we have a roof over the pool. But I think that's why the earlier or orchestration was the way it, it is. And then, of course, we get to Broadway and now we've got, hey, we can release the whole brass section and all that other stuff that like really gets us going that we love. Um but I agree about the writing, the new writing over top of the choral singing for the patter song. It's just brilliant and it's so fun. It's great. But I think you make a really good point in that 
with the acoustics of an Olympic sized pool, putting patter over, you know, the frog song would have been near to impossible to coordinate. And we had a five piece uh, orchestra over on, on the deck. Um, there is something very magical about acoustics at a pool. I will say that once we were able to cover, you know, the entire long wall with foam, you still are getting a sense of size that you would never normally get. And not like overwhelmingly loud, but mm -hmm. just this beauty, this beauty that you get because of the acoustics of a pool. I sort of, I mean, I do feel like it was a play with music. I don't know how much it can hold, you know? I mean, to me, there's something delicate about the original piece that I really loved. Can I ask which instruments you used? Oh, I wish I could tell you. Oh, I'd love to know that. <laughs> I do not remember. I just remember the orchestra wore bathing suits. <laughs> I <do> remember. <laughs> oh, um, it does seem though that, that the response to, as Chris is alluding to that, the, uh, the Broadway version of it, maybe as you're saying, Vicki went a little bit too far that there's somewhere perhaps in the middle lies the definitive version of the frog, something with a little bit more Sondheim, but maybe a little less pyrotechnics to keep us grounded into, you know, the real point of what it is. Um, I, I think of shows, and this is gonna seem like such a strange comparative, but I think of like what happened to a, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown from the original sweet, <laughs> simple three instrument version to what it eventually became on Broadway with a full blown production and you're going, this is like, it is not, you, you've gone way too far. It sounds like this, um, we always want a little bit more Sondheim. So maybe it's somewhere in the middle yet to be discovered. What well, you know, when the climactic moment has to be this competition between Shakespeare and Shaw, so that really you're leading up to this extraordinarily beautiful text that if, everything has been so visual and everything. I, I wonder if you're really undercutting what the true beauty of this piece is in terms of listening to these words of Shakespeare and Shaw. Mm -hmm. How do you make that the most important thing if the visual has been the most important thing? Words, words, words. It's quite true. My plays are all words, just as Raphael's pictures are all paint and Michelangelo's statues are all marble. Your plays are trash of the lowest melodramatic order, in parts abominably written, throughout intellectually vulgar, and exasperating beyond all tolerance. Oh, go thou and find another room in Hades. Boys, boys. As to faith, hope, courage, conviction, or any of the true heroic qualities, I find nothing in your play. By this I challenge you to a single fight. If you wish to fight, gentlemen, please, please forgive me, but it is unseemly for two titans of literature to be reduced to what is essentially a barroom brawl. Besides, Bernard's, we, re we really should be going. No, I have spent an eternity listening to this damn fool, and I am not leaving this wretched place until this argument is settled once and for all. Well, if you must fight. We must! The fiend is in my elbow and tempts me. All right, all right, all right. But no violence. Let your words be your weapons and may the best man win. Well, and also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Vicky, but it, it feels like from listening to the, the 
Library of Congress recording, the first act of the of the Broadway musical is almost basically just like the exposition of, of what you did because it, in that recording by the third song, you're at the River Styx. Correct. And, and uh, in the Broadway version, we have an, almost an hour, you know, of, of, of different things. The, the travel song and, and Heracles' number, which is a brilliant comedic moment, but they're, um, they're all clever moments that don't really sort of add to the, uh, you know, it's the joke they make in the opening number um, about there not being a lot of plot. It, it really is, you know, pretty skeletal and, and the things that were added in the Broadway production feel to be, um, you know, even as much as we love hearing a new Sondheim number, that Heracles number is, is window dressing, right? Dress big, you know, it's it's brilliant, but it doesn't, you know, it's not really furthering a lot of, narrative mm -hmm. yeah i you know i don't know the lincoln center version but when you said that act one ended with introducing the frogs i think in the original you meet the frogs like within 20 minutes yeah because there is no intermission and in you know it's just right. it's like an 80 minute straight through so that's fascinating mm -hmm. and it seems to some degree as i was reviewing it thinking these Greek myths and the diagrams that you could make of families and, and who encounters who and who slept with who and sired this god who had a, a mother who was human, but a father who was a god, you know, all of that. It, it is the precursor to our things like Lord of the Rings or Star mm. Wars or um, the Wizard of Oz even, when you start getting into the depth of the books and all of them, the multiple characters, this seems to be kind of almost where it's all started, was were these myths and all of these, the personalities and the players, almost like, you know, and I look at even all, you know, the Justice League or superheroes and, and uh, things like that. It all really does tie back to this, to this moment, doesn't it? The, the, these characters. I don't know if there's something really before this that has such a big lineage of, uh, of a community of characters. Um, the thing too, in terms of Sondheim, going back and contributing, recontributing, um, do we sense anything different from those songs that he wrote in 74 versus Sondheim 30 years after the fact contributing to his own material? Is there a noticeable difference that jumped out at you in any way that goes, oh, that's definitely mature Sondheim versus this is Sondheim of the early 70s. I'm I don't think he wrote anything in the early 70s that was as uh, purely romantic as um, Ariadne, which is the ballad that Dionysus sings in the new version about his wife. You know, we read a lot about the fact that he wasn't able to write passion until he experienced that kind of intense romantic love for the first time. And, you know, everything else, you know, a lot of, so much of what we love about Sondheim and, and the canon is the sort of like almost but not quite or near miss of all these romantic couplings and uncouplings, whether it's company or night music or follies. But that ballad in particular, for me anyway, in the Lincoln Center version, 
is a mature Sondheim because there's no there's no justification. It's just pure. I loved my wife. I miss my wife. You know, longing. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember the accompaniment for that one because that's one of the songs that I love, and and I'm I don't remember the exact details at this moment of what the accompaniment sounds like, but it it whatever that motific development is, it's something that we come to associate with mature Sondheim, mm-hmm. for sure. Like we hear that and go, oh, that's Sondheim. How can that can't be anybody else but him? So, I'm curious, Chris and Christy, if are all eight numbers from the original frogs do they all make it into the broadway version there are two short numbers that aren't in there um they do an awful lot of dancing the dead but but that one is not in there but it seems to have inspired a different number called shaw whereas in all the acolytes of shaw do a dance it feels like something very 20s or 30s called the shaw and then the invocation to the muses that other brief section is not in there. i adore that to me was such a special special moment but i think it's because of how the show expanded it's so delicate that music that at this point in the in the broadway version we're two-thirds of the way through act two so to ask the audience to have the attention to sit and listen to that sort of beautiful choral moment i think would have you know that's when you would have seen the checking the watches the rustling the programs um because it's just so much longer that was actually one of my favorite pieces of staging that we did we had an extraordinary an extraordinary ballet dancer uh who was also very good in the water and we had uh two of the men and her and she would go underwater and they would lift her up out of the pool for each muse and she would be in a different position then she'd go back under and then they would bring her back up and it was so simple but such a great marriage with the delicacy of that music it was just such a lovely image but i remember that that was one of the things later in the piece that seemed like we better put some music back in here or this is no longer even a play with music. So I wondered whether that had made it. How did the actors get their cue to know when to come up if they were all underwater? Did they just keep taking a chance? I think that's the beauty of conducting. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he was wearing a bathing suit. He must have gone into the water and said, Yeah, it was, I wish I had these answers now. I don't know, but they did do it. <laughs> figured it out then. Yeah. Out then. Chris, you bring I up think... an interesting point about Sondheim uh, 30 years later after he had uh, done certain kinds of living that I remember were parts of our conversation when we talked about uh, Roadshow uh, and uh, Bounce and, and how um, he felt then that he could bring to that show certain of his own life experiences and romantic experiences. But there's an element about this show that reminds me, and of course I keep going back and forth going, okay, wait, this came first, but it is the traveling, the road show, the buddies going you know, along a journey. And, and then of course, when you add in Nathan Lane and, and, and Roger Bard, it makes you immediately think of forum or or the producers or the again that kind of tradition of those buddy type things and we're on a journey of adventure 
Um, but that seems to be something that Sondheim does enjoy, you know, uh, writing that kind of material of, of a couple of a, a male relationship of friends or rivals or something like that and, and, and how they're gonna um, make their way and kind of wrestle through something that uh, is, you know, a seed in their wisdom tooth with each other that they've got to that they've got to work out. I wish to go to Hades. Pluto's retreat? Yes. It's a hell of a town. Yes. Hell bent on going? Yes. Come hella high water? Yes. There'll be hell to pay? Yes. I'm hell on wheels. Don't you think you've taken that joke as far as it can go? Hell no. Please stop. When hell freezes over? Enough. I'll see you in hell first. Okay. I'm the boatman from, from hell. hell. All right already. What do we think about this show just in terms of when we look at just the viability of, of the Sondheim canon of shows? Is this something that um, we feel that is worth the effort to try to find a commercial audience for? Or is it really something that is simply rarefied and, and a specialty piece? Or do you find it entertaining in the same way that you find some of his other shows commercially entertaining. I think that it, I think that it can be commercially entertaining. I think, and especially with what's happening in the world right now and needing a message, I think that it can be, but it just has to be done really correctly to hold the audience. Because I mean, how many people are really gonna care about a George Bernard Shaw? You know, how many people want to hear him battle Shakespeare if it's not in the style of a rap like Hamilton, <laughs> you know, in the Founding Fathers or something like that. But I think it certainly has elements that a lot of people would appreciate if it was brought to them. Um, I think it hasn't been seen enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the, I think the right production team could, could definitely make it very popular. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think in the current incarnation, in the in the Lincoln Center incarnation, it um, you spoke earlier, Michael, to a middle ground, and I think you know uh, based on you know what I have observed, you know the 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 frog ballet on Broadway was ten minutes of them on bungee cords, and then there was a whole other dance number when they got to Hades, and then there was a whole other dance number when they got to introducing Shaw. And it just, and there's not enough plot, I think, to support all of that. Um, I think Strowman was doing what she does best, but I don't know that it was maybe she was the perfect person to have directed it because I do think to Vicky's earlier point, it's, it's, it is a little smaller. It's not, it doesn't, uh, it's a little more intimate. And uh, I think a, a, a one act version of what they did on Broadway with some of the excesses cut away, um, I would be very interested in. And you get to live in Hades, where it's always 2 a.m. Where it's party to your drop and never stop, cause there's nothing we condemn. Where whatever you regret, you just forget, or better yet, forgive. Where you're not afraid to die, and when you're not afraid to die, then you're not afraid to live. And you're living here in Hades. And I mean you're living well. Living well. Everybody comes to Hades. Everybody goes to hell. Up there, lots of sun. Down here, oodles of loom. Up there, not a lot of fun. Down here, va-va-voom. Up there, 
down here. One long acid trip, R.I.P. down here means let her rip. Hell is hip, hell is happening, hell is fun. Maybe a hundred minute kind of a one act. Yeah. I'd be really interested to see that kind of a a dry land version. Do you know if they are licensing both versions these days? Yes, the MTI licenses the Broadway Nathan Lane version, and then um, Dramatic Publishing licenses the um, original. Mm-hmm. It would seem, though, that you know, given that the response was that it was a bit overblo- uh, over bloated, the the Broadway production of it, that hopefully Nathan Lane and Sondheim would be open to some rethinking of it, um, seeing as the feedback was, I think maybe you went a bit too far, it was a little too splashy, a little too, so, so hopefully there will be a director who will be able to, to look at the material and, and embrace the power of, of what it has to say in this eternal way. Um, it certainly has something to say in a way that is, is more um, defined even than certain Sondheim shows, which you can't, you know, negate the fact that one of Sondheim's collaborators on her is Aristophanes, who is wrestling with some very big ideas here and and looking at that kind of collaboration and then even throw in Shakespeare. You know, Sondheim jokingly remarks in his book of lyrics, you know, I didn't dare include the lyrics to this song because I didn't write them, but, you know, I'm happy to say that I actually collaborated with Shakespeare. How, you know, how, how remarkable is that? Um, there was a lot of hands in this and a lot of people who were big thinkers, you know, people who really wanted to wrestle with some hard questions. Um, it, I have the thought, and I'm knocking on every piece of wood I can find, <laughs> that in in some ways, it, he almost, Sondheim almost wrote a perfect memorial to himself and that when he passes, someone will undoubtedly try to rewrite the show that the person that they go to Hades to try and bring back to speak again to the people is Sondheim. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I had that thought last night and then I immediately started crying. Um, So I'm happy to say- Who would be the other, who would be the other person that he would be with? Well, I thought of, I I mean, I, I immediately thought of two people, Michael. I thought either his mentor, Hammerstein, or if you want to dig into the 84, Uh, season controversy Jerry Herman because both of them have a sort of sentimental optimistic lyrical style that is the antithesis of what Sondheim writes much in the way that Shakespeare and Shaw are sort of you know polar opposites it would have to be someone who has that that more you know rosy optimism I think in their in their lyrics right uh, Sondheim suggests uh, at this time, at least while he's still with us, that maybe the next people you'd want to put there would be Arthur Miller and Tennessee Williams, um, which makes sense as well. You know, the yeah. realist versus the fantasist and have them yeah. go at it. Um, I could think of some some other people as as well. Um, but I'd sure love to see this show. I'd sure love to see somebody produce it. And I really wish that Chris and Christy could have seen Vicky's production because it was, <gasps> it was memorable. It was, it was a feat. It was a feat. And I wish it uh, had run a little bit longer. Um, I like Hold to wrap- Hold your own, Christy. 
Yes. <laughs> I like to wrap these up with uh, almost sort of a, a response recommendation. If somebody said uh, to you that they were going to be going to see a production of The Frogs and they had no idea what this material was, what would you kind of uh, forewarn them might be their experience? Oh, that show. Here's what you can expect to experience. Hmm. Chris? The first thing I would say is take me with you. <laughs> not, not the, when you're like, what would I say to someone? I'd be like, where? I'm coming with you. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think I would tell them to uh, enjoy the juxtaposition of, of the classic um, Greek writing and the and the contemporary um, collaborators, whether it's Sondheim and Shevlov or Sondheim and Lane, um, but to see how the the contemporary creators were able to be inspired by and riff on this thousand year old piece of work, mm -hmm. thousands. Vicky. Mm -hmm. I think like Chris said earlier, it's almost like we're talking about two different pieces. So I, I'm going to go with if somebody said they're going to go see the original version in a pool, I'm going to say, uh, take, get ready for a journey mm -hmm. and, and get ready for an experience. You know, it's I think it not being in a theater is it's just a big old journey that you're never going to get to take with another piece. And you're going to take out away with it. I, I just say, be open to it. If it's not in a classic theater and there aren't the dance numbers that you're expecting and just take in the experience. It feels like such late sixties, you know, experimental theater to me. That's, that's kind of the thrill of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Christy? I would say um, be prepared um, to be overwhelmed by amphibious creatures who take <laughs> you to a new world where you party and it's always 2 a.m. <laughs> and you find yourself in a in a wonderful situation of being with two of the best writers in the world, and, but you can only bring one back. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's a place I'd like to go. That's a place I'd like to go. Well, thank you so much uh, for, for, for joining me in this talk. You know, sometimes when I get into these, I wonder, are we going to be able to talk about the frogs for an hour? We could talk for probably another 30 minutes. But I'm so delighted that I was able to get at least an hour with you to talk about the frogs. Thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. See you all later. Bye, everybody. Bye.